0: Very good morning to you. I'm Howard Feldman. This is the Synthesis Sunday podcast with me, Howard Feldman, and Dr. Anton Myberg. It is the 9th of May, 2021. It is Mother's Day, and I'd like to take the opportunity to wish all the moms out there a wonderful, wonderful, and very special day. And thank you for everything that you have done and continue to do. Dr. Myberg, good morning to you. How are you?
1: Good morning. How are you doing? Um, It's a nice, uh, crispy weather outside today. Uh, Crispy is one way of putting it. It's gone cold. So we're currently sitting on 158,337,486 cases worldwide with 3.2 million deaths and 135 million cases resolved. The United States has 33.4 million cases with 595,000 deaths. India has 22.2 million cases with 242,000 deaths. So they're screaming up. South Africa has 1,594,817 cases with 54,724 deaths, 2,191 new cases in the last 24 hours, and 382,480 people having been vaccinated. Currently in Gauteng hospitals, there are 1,419 patients with COVID-19, of which 340 in ICU and 139 are ventilated. The test positivity rates have gone up to about 8.7% noting that we are probably in the third wave in provinces such as the Free State and the Northern Cape. However, it's not national, but it's starting to go up. Gauteng has had a 33% increase in the amount of positive cases, as well as Free State has had about 1,000 positive cases in the last 72 hours. So the numbers are screaming up and we are going to a third wave without doubt.
0: So the, the hospital numbers generally will lag a little bit behind the positivity uh, cases as, as people take time to get sicker and, and to require hospitalisation. That said, what are you seeing?
1: So that's it, it, a, a good point you make. And, and, and Shabir Mahdi came out with a statement yesterday saying that he doesn't believe that the third wave will be as severe as the second wave unless we get a different mutation or different va- variant But I think that remains to be seen. We don't know where we're standing yet. The numbers are definitely going up in the hospital. We've now opened our third ward in our hospital. Uh, We're seeing severe cases. We're seeing sick people. But it's still just that little bit too early to work out where we are in this progression of the development of the third wave and what's happening with the severity of the cases that we see.
0: Mm. So a lot of concerns and a lot of questions around the so called Indian variant, uh, without getting into the politics of whether we're allowed to call it the Indian variant or not. It's very clear, uh, per what you said a little bit earlier, India suffering tremendously with a number of cases, they, they are on the verge of collapse. Uh, the, it's very natural to be anxious about that strain or that variant coming here. What do we know about this?
1: I think we should look at all the variants before we just look at one variant per se. And if we look at the United Kingdom variant, that's the B117. That's actually the worst variant at the moment. That's hyper transmissible. Um, It's almost like a super spread strain. So that causes the most severe illness um, independent of the spread. So it is fully responsive to all the vaccines. So we're hoping that uh, once people are vaccinated, that won't be an issue. We do know that there are 11 cases of the B117 that have been reported in South Africa. That's the UK variant. And there are four cases of the B1617, that's the Indian variant that have been reported in South Africa. We have got the B1351 variant, which has also been known to be very responsive to Pfizer, uh, the biotech mRNA vaccine, as well as the Johnson Johnson and the Novavax, which is currently being formulated. Um, definitely, you would need two doses of the mRNA vaccine to combat the B1351 variant. They think that one dose of the Johnson Johnson is sufficient, but they are doing tests on it. And then, of course, there's the P1 variant, which is the Brazil variant, which is the second highest concern of the actual variants, higher above than the B1351 variant. And then looking at the actual Indian variant, it's being noted worldwide as the double mutant strain. And um, this is really a misnomer because... There's about 15 different mutations that we've picked up so far with the B1617 mutation. But the ones of interest, and that's why they call it the double mutant strain, is the L452R and the E484Q mutation. These are extremely virulent strains that are spreading, but we're not sure if they're hypersensitive to causing much more severe disease remember that the reason that we're seeing such severity in a country like India with billions of people is because of recent political gatherings and religious events where people dropped their their guard. They didn't wear masks. They weren't social distancing. They, albeit the fact that there are 117 million people vaccinated in India, of which 17 million have received two doses, that's a trickle in the ocean in the amount of people in that populace of that country.
0: What is your thoughts around? And I'm not asking you politically. I'm asking you medically. If you were to make a decision, would you stop travel from places like India and perhaps Brazil?
1: So, from my own personal point of view, the answer would be yes. I would stop travel. Mm. I do believe that, although that we've had that ship, that docked here with the 14 uh, patients that tested positive, as well as now with the four cases that picked up, I'm sure there'll be many more that they will pick up. Unfortunately. I would try and prevent, you know, medicine's also about prophylaxis. You've got to try and prevent certain things from happening in order to create a second sort of outbreak of these things. And we know that this is a transmissible variant. So we would try to prevent the variant from coming here so we could get under wraps with our own variant. Because in our country, we have not yet reached a containment um, sort of level where we can actually have said that we've vaccinated enough people to make it seem effective.
0: Mm -hmm. The... The cases that you're seeing at the moment, are you reasonably comfortable that it's not a new variant, that it's the same variant that has been circulating around the country since December?
1: Once again, I think it's too early to tell. What we are seeing at the moment is that during the first wave, If one person got sick in the household, generally it was one person and nobody else. In the second wave, maybe one or two, but now what we're starting to see is multiple people in a household are getting sick, whereas before they used to get sick. So we don't know if it's a new variant yet. We don't know if it's the old variant yet. They are doing um, genomic testing to see what the variant is. And we'll have to wait and see. There's no point in guessing because we just don't have that data available to us to guide us upon which sort yeah, of thought yeah. pattern we're going. It doesn't change the, it doesn't change your management at the end of the day. It's right. all academic, but right. it does help in identifying if we're going to have a much more severe third wave or not.
0: So right in the beginning, as you said, it could happen that that somebody would would uh, get COVID and and a spouse wouldn't. I would shake my head and decide that that was obviously a sign of a very poor marriage. But but it turns out that it actually isn't. We we, we actually have no. Well, we didn't really have an idea. Do we have any more idea now, as to why a, a number of people in in a house will get will be positive, somebody won't be. One spouse will, one won't. What you know, is- I think
1: we've still got to go back to the old sort of thought process that we had right at the beginning of this of this pandemic, when we said that if you've had a previous sort of affectation or if you've been previously um, infected by one of the other coronaviruses, you might have a cross link of it, some type of immunity uh-huh. that is developed in order to protect you. So that's a thought process we've still got. As I said, we still don't know what's going to evolve from this third wave, whether or not we are going to see more people sick in the household. You know, the the academics are all saying we've got a a great proportion of this country that already have been infected. I'm not convinced at this point in time because we're still seeing a lot of people getting sick. Um, It's very difficult to ascertain what the numbers are because... They're not doing enough testing to ascertain who is positive, who's asymptomatic, who's got Mm. antibodies. So we'll have to wait for the dots to come out of that in the next few months.
0: Well, it was interesting because I had a conversation with somebody last week who's not on any medical aid. And and she said to me that that she had a Mm. cold at some point, went to a clinic and they said she has to go privately for testing. And she said, well, I can't afford that and didn't go for testing. And I wondered if that wasn't just, perhaps a, a concern around how much testing we've done in this country.
1: Well, I think it, it goes a bit deeper than that because of the fact what happened at Charles from Hospital Hospital, the hospital having essentially been put into lockdown because mm. of the severe damage that was done to it. So mm. now you've taken a huge hospital out of the equation. People are being pushed to all other satellite hospitals pushing their numbers dramatically higher. They've got less people to deal with the more, more sicker people. And they've got to sort of filter and sift people from other hospitals. So I think there's a shortage of that type of availability to test because of the fact that you've taken out a major hospital, as well as the other hospital that there was a um, two patients mm-hmm. died where there was another fire. I think it was the yeah. F.C. Woodendoll or one of those hospitals. But um, that was also, that's also a big problem. So they're really taking out your drainage systems and you're then not getting enough people tested because these people don't know where to go or what to do.
0: So talk up to talk me through herd immunity. Uh, do we have any idea as to where we are? I mean, obviously vaccines aside because our numbers are, are completely mm. irrelevant at this point in so terms of the I think of people having from
1: here that. onwards we're we going to change the name of herd immunity to containment. Because I think that's a better term. You know, have we got this virus contained, okay? And if we look at the infection rate in a country like Israel, the infection rate is less than one per 100,000. And they, they've got containment because they vaccinated the vast majority of the population. If we look at countries like the United States, their infection rate is about 15 per 100,000, which is also dramatically better. And mm-hmm. that's what we've got to aim for. We've got to aim to drop the infection rate sort of below one per 100,000. And then we've got containment. And then we can get this effect of containment. Shabir Mahdi, he actually said that we're not aiming to vaccinate 40 million people, our aim in this country is to vaccinate severe people, people with risks. the majority of those people. And by that means we will reach the herd immunity or we will reach that containment that we so desperately need in order to go back to daily functioning and normality.
0: Mm -hmm. How are we doing? I mean, we know the broad answer in terms of the vaccine rollout, but a lot of people asking your thoughts on that.
1: So we had about 380,000 people. The Sasanke trial finished on Friday. That doesn't mean that there's no more vaccine available. They're still going to be vaccinating healthcare workers with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. There's um, supposedly we're starting the other vaccinations on the 17th of May. We're looking forward to that. It'll be with the Pfizer vaccine, as far as we know, in the major centres where they've got the, the availability to have the right refrigeration and the right temperatures for these uh, vaccines. And in the smaller rural areas, they'll use the Johnson and Johnson, the one doses. So I do believe we're going to be starting with that. They're going to be getting that going forward. And I think we'll be going in the right direction.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, let's take a look. Lots and lots of questions. And I thank you, everybody, for, for all of these questions. Um, we've spoken, <coughs> excuse me, we've spoken about the, the variants. Penny wants to know, is it safe for pregnant women to be vaccinated?
1: So we still got to go back to what the American College of Obsession Gynecology have said, and they have said the answer is definitively yes. Um, the South African Medical Advisory Committee or government came out that they said they would hold back on giving the Johnson & Johnson to pregnant women. Um, but we've got to look at the facts, and we've got to look at the what's actually worse. Is it worse to get COVID-19, where we know you can get a 165,000 people per million people with clots? or not having the or, or not having the vaccine mm. itself and getting COVID nineteen and then being in tremendous peril and not only God forbid losing your own life, but losing the life of your baby at the same time. So you've got to you've got to look at the pros versus the cons. You've got to look at the fact that worldwide they are vaccinating pregnant women, they are giving nursing mothers the vaccine, and they are passing antibodies onto their children. So we've got to look at the data. You've got to definitely speak to your obstetrician and say to them, am I at risk? Am I one of the people that should be getting or shouldn't be getting? And discuss it further with them.
0: All right. Mandy wants to know, once people have been vaccinated with the J&J vaccine or any other vaccine, what is the chance of them getting COVID?
1: there's always chance of a breakthrough infection. Remember that efficacy is not 100%. The point of the vaccine, as I always said, is very similar to the flu vaccine, is that it protects you from getting severe illness or needing hospitalization. So albeit, even if you do get COVID again, it will be like flu-like symptoms, like a mild cough, a bit of shortness of breath, but nothing dramatic enough to cause you needing to go into oxygen or need to go into hospital. And that's the hope and that's what we're hoping to prevent by having the vaccination.
0: And I know the answer to this, but I'm asking it anyway. Mandy wants to know if someone has had the J&J vaccine um, or any other vaccine, uh, should they have the flu vaccine as well? And if so, how long should they wait?
1: So the answer is definitely yes. And there should be a two-week lag between each vaccine, and each vaccine should go into a different arm. So if you've had your flu vaccine in your left arm, you have your COVID-19 vaccine in your right arm.
0: It must be two
1: weeks in between.
0: Two weeks. If someone's coming from Israel to South Africa, do they need to isolate?
1: No, because no one's coming from Israel to South Africa. It's been banned.
0: All right. But in theory, if someone were to come here, um, <laughs> <coughs> excuse me, and they've been vaccinated, I'm assuming they don't need to isolate.
1: So the, the point is, they don't need to They do not yeah. need to isolate. They do need to be careful around people. They should still wear their masks around people, but they definitely don't need to, to isolate.
0: Danielle says, thanks for an awesome show. Is a vaccine recommended for people with autoimmune illnesses? And if so, is one vaccine better than another?
1: So definitely the vaccines are recommended for people with autoimmune illnesses. Depending on what your illness is, you still gonna discuss it with your rheumatologist, but uh, even the, the Society of Rheumatology worldwide has prescribed the vaccine to all patients with lupus, to all patients with autoimmune diseases, to patients with thyroid disease, with all other sorts of inflammatory diseases. And at this point in time, we're still gonna hold by the same adage, whichever one you can get. That being said, we still say right now the happiest we are with the three vaccines that we know about, and that's the Moderna, that's the Pfizer, and that's the Johnson & Johnson. Um, even though the World Health Organization have started to give the go-ahead for the Sinovac vaccine, I personally will want a lot more data about this vaccine before I'm happy for my own family to take it.
0: And Sputnik Five?
1: Sputnik V is looking promising. Once again, I'd also wait for more for more data about that. But I'd far easier take the Sputnik V than it would the Sinovac at this point in time.
0: All right, and uh, a few questions around how long these vaccines last. Um, mm-hmm. If if someone has had the Pfizer's uh, F- or they've had Johnson and Johnson, are we seeing um, or do you think we're going to see a need to top it up in a ne- in the next short while?
1: Remember, we're very naive. We still don't know the definitive answers to the things. It's still a sign of scientific answers. But we've seen that or we've heard that immunity can last up to about eight, up to about eight months in people who've had COVID-19. Remember, there's two types of immunity: there's the natural immunity and there's the vaccine-induced immunity. And someone who actually gets the virus, their immune system makes a memory of the actual virus, meaning that the immune cells and the proteins in the body come and attack that pathogen or that virus when the virus comes back to you and you get a release of your antibodies, your T cells and your B cells and your T killer cells, which hopefully make a destructive event against that virus and destroy the virus. We do know that antibodies do wane, in other words, they do decrease, but we don't know how long the T cells actually last for those T memory cells, which fight off the infection and the immunology against the virus. So we're thinking it could be up to eight months. The data regarding the vaccines, and if you're going to need boosters of the vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna have come out saying that you're probably are going to need boosters up to about six months after you've had the vaccines, but that could be for multiple reasons. That could be due to the fact that they are sort of changing the vaccines and putting different strains in with regards to the different variants mm. and the fact that they're not sure, you know, will those spark proteins, that S protein, will it last long enough to give you coverage for the amount of time you need. It's also very similar to the influenza vaccine. You have to have a yearly influenza vaccine, and I'm gonna see it the same way that we're probably gonna need yearly SARS-CoV-2 vaccines to protect ourselves, despite having had the initial vaccine.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's almost like like an upgrade. It's like a software upgrade.
1: Yeah, it's basically like getting a new cell phone.
0: Right. Um, Stephen says, if grandparents um, are vaccinated, but not the kids who are under 10, is it safe to go on holiday together? Should they wear masks if staying in the same unit? It's, it's, it's become a very practical and very real question. It's the same as Israelis traveling here, many of the adults. Yeah, it, it's very different. It's very, different.
1: It's very yeah. different than Israelis traveling here, because once again, you're coming to, you're coming from a country with containment, so they've got everywhere around oh, them who's contained, they're all vaccinated. When yep. you come here and you've just got, let's say, grandparents that are vaccinated, now you've got a set of kids that have been out in the open, that played sports, that have been at school, that have been on play dates, and they might be carriers or the grandparents might be carriers and they might transmit it to the parents or other people. So they should still wear masks when in the house of people who have not been vaccinated. Once we've got a high number of vaccinated people, then that will fall away.
0: Is it true that the current strain had has less of an incubation period um or is this the indian strain are we seeing anything like that
1: so let's define what an incubation period an incubation period is basically what happens when you get exposed to the virus to the time from the development of symptoms and that can be two days that can be three days we're not seeing a definitive decrease in time from the different variants of the different strains but uh, we are seeing that people are getting sick and we'll know to see what strain we're dealing with in the next few weeks.
0: A lot of concerns around schools. We saw on Friday there was an article around St. John's putting a bunch of kids into quarantine. Uh, you've spoken about the fact that there are clusters of outbreaks at the schools that you're consulting with. Um, the, the, uh, what about schools allowing sports and uh, with, with the numbers on the rise?
1: So I think a lot of people may have seen the the headline It said that St. John's College canceled all sporting fixtures for 10 days while 260 of their kids were put into quarantine. And the headline actually said, the saints won't be marching onto the rugby field, COVID kicked the ball out of play, which I think is quite pertinent. Mm
0: -hmm. Now,
1: the schools that we're advising, and I'm talking about a number of medical doctors that are in a sort of medical advisory committee, we're advising our schools that if they are playing sport, our children have to wear masks. It's mandatory for our children to wear masks in order to protect them. And this is the proof of the pudding. You see this in a rugby game. It's impossible to wear a mask during a rugby game. Hence, here you get a major spread from one child who's actually managed to spread the, the virus and it's out of out of sync. We've got 260 people who've needed to be put into quarantine. But if you're going to get schools, let's say, playing netball or soccer, which aren't major contact sports, where the kids are wearing the masks outdoors, and yes, they can have mask breaks. I mean, they can stop the game every 10 or 15 minutes to have a mask break. You will be able to contain the spread of the virus, and you will be able to prevent the spread of the virus. You also need to have someone there who's monitoring the kids, someone spraying their hands all the time. And and that way, you can actually do it. But you've got to be very careful which sports to do. Mm.
0: Uh, with the with Ramadan, with the holy month of Ramadan coming to an end, with the festival of Shavuot uh, in the Jewish community about to take place, there's obviously a, a real concern, considering that, uh, as you said, we are in the midst of the third wave what is your advice should people be cancelling things should they be just being very careful around it give us a sense as to how we need to conduct ourselves to protect each other over the next couple of weeks
1: so so i think that yes we are about to be going into the third wave within the next few weeks whether it's a week or two weeks or three weeks it's there and we've said that although it's not national it's definitely in certain provinces that they are in the third wave that being said we do know that the major problem with events is super spread events. If we contain super spread events, we can prevent the outbreak of the virus. And when do super spread events happen? Super spread events happen where people are indoors, when there's poor ventilation, when people aren't wearing masks. We're now going into winter period where it's getting cold. And now we're going into the Eid celebrations, we're going to the Shavuot celebrations, people are gonna be indoors, it's too cold to be outside. You need to contain that. You need to keep the gatherings extremely small, windows open, doors open. You need to keep the vulnerable out of these gatherings. So people who have got factors, people who are not vaccinated, people who are over the age of 60, 65, who have got hypertension, obesity, diabetes, COPD, emphysema, those type of things, or people with autoimmune diseases, they should refrain from going to these gatherings. They should protect themselves. And when you do have these gatherings, you have to make sure there's to a few social, so social gathering, people are washing their hands, people are spraying their hands, people are wearing their masks. And you've got to make sure that all the things we do mitigate what we do so we can actually try and prevent the closure of synagogues, of mosques, of churches, and more importantly, the closure of schools down the line. Mm,
0: mm, absolutely. Unfortunately, that is all we have time for today. Dr. Anton Marburg, I'm presuming there's good news because there's always good news.
1: Yeah, there's good news. We're still at school. That's a huge bonus. The vaccines are looking promising, especially against the variants. And we still have the power to dampen the third wave. It's literally in our hands. And of course, once again, I'll use my favourite word, I will be remiss if I didn't discuss the greatest football team in history who had a fantastic win against Southampton last night, 2-0 to Liverpool, and who are still currently the champions as there's no clear winner of the Premier League as of yet, so they are still currently the champions. And my quote... A mother is she who can take the place of all others, but whose place no one else can take. Wishing you a good week, a safe week, wash your hands, wear your masks, don't drop the ball, and let's try and curb the third wave.
0: Dr. Anton Myberg, thank you as always. This is the Sunday Synthesis Podcast with me, Howard Feldman, this Mother's Day. Don't forget to to subscribe to the YouTube channel so that you can get updates. We'll bring you information as it becomes available, but uh, we'll see you, of course, next week. Happy Mother's Day once again. And remember that you can still love your mom and not accept her friend request. I'm Howard Feldman. Have a great day.